I don't know if Devin knows that we we spent a lovely four month autumn in uh, in Devin's near Devon's city of, of origin back in 2001, Shane and I were both interns in Boston at design studios. I thought I was going to live there. I really thought I was going to live there after, after this, after that, after this podcast, we got moved to Boston. Yeah. Have we talked about that before Devin? Have we told you? I don't think so. No, we went to other music a lot. I bought so many records at other music. We went to, uh, what was that place for, for lobster roll? Charlie's kitchen. Is that the place that was in Harvard square? Yes. I ate so many lobster rolls and I drank so many harpoon IPAs when I was in Boston. Every, literally every bar had these two things. They had uh, cider Jack and harpoon IPA. And I, I drank a lot of those. Some Sam Adams. Yeah. Sam, some Sam Adams. Not too much. I spent a lot of time at a place called Lucky's down in South Boston that I don't know if that still exists. My darts bar closed. The Kinvara closed. I know that. That's where I threw darts with my with my other co-op roommate. Lucky's Lounge. No, Lucky's Lounge is still there. Sweet. 355 Congress Street, Boston. Check it out. I'm sure I'm sure it's the exact same place it was in 2001 right now. <laughs> Lucky's get at us. Sponsor this podcast. Lucky's has trivia every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Lucky's uh trivia Tuesday. 7 p.m. Check it out. I bet it's themed. <laughs> I bet you, if you go, well, sometimes there's a Golden Girls theme. I bet maybe there's a Big Lebowski theme you could do for Show trivia. Show me that smile again. Growing Pains theme? Sure. That's not the theme from the Golden Girls. It's not at all. Hello and welcome to episode 260 of the Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, strategies, and new sets for the casual spike. My name is Shane, here in Denver, Colorado, with me on the line from Massachusetts, it's the one and only Devin O'Donnell, aka Doomwake. That's me. What's up, Devin? Not much, not much. I've been playing a lot of uh, playing a lot of standard. Actually, played a standard RCQ this past weekend. Ooh, how'd it uh, go? O2 drop. That didn't go super well, but <laughs> we, we call that a godfather yeah. around where I'm from. <laughs> I think I'm I think I'm off Golgari after that one, but no, it's been good. I like the format; it's fun. Good. Also with us is a Godfather Dave Harbaugh, a Mister O2 drop to you. <laughs> That's me. You know, sometimes you got to stick around, though. You know, your friends are still playing. You don't want to go home yet. It's true. Sure. I mean, that's that's me. I'm the guy who gets the water and brings the granola bars back when nobody has anything because I have nothing to play for by round three every tournament. The that's caffeinated me. cliff bars. Yep. Yep. Cliff bars get at us. Shane, you've been gone. How was I, I know. How was the, you? The island boy is back. Yeah. Island time. <laughs> it's me. Island boy. Uh, it was, I had a good trip. It was good. Uh, it was restorative more until like the, the, every time I fly home from when I'm, you know, traveling more than three or four hours. I'm like, why, why am I doing this? Was this worth it? Which thing? The, the flying, the flying thing. back, like, just like flying. The, the, well, like the flying back after the vacation. It's like, why am I, why did I, you know, was this, was this trip, was this trip worth this like 12 hour day? Mm. And then, you, know, I mean, you, you forget about that after a while. Travel is stressful, but those are the moments, the moments of duress are really the moments that, that define trips sometimes I find. And that's where you, you get to the moment where you're like, why have we just been playing a lot of Euchre together? Like, that's fun. That's when the bonding happens. <laughs> Devin, you just keep cycling through images. This, well, this I, is, found, I found a rhino, so we're going to keep it like this. This yeah. is a tool too powerful for the likes of you. Too much. I, I would say that Devin has a spoiler image up right now. Given well, nobody can what see it. talk so. about today. Yeah. Ooh. You know what we can talk about today, though? Tell me. Heavy play. play. Beautiful. 
a new card gaming accessory brand that'll improve your gameplay and your game day. Did you take these with you to the island of St. Lucia? No, Did you I, take your heavy play? I knew that I would not be going to the LGS. You don't do it as an LGS. St. Lucia does F&M. Maybe somewhere, but I'm not going to really escape from my wife and be like, honey, I'm going to go to the LGS 35 minutes away. See you later. Go play an right. RCQ. Right. <laughs> Tell me more what have you played though, Dave. Well, yeah. let me let me tell you, take you, it. you take Dave, it. because the, yeah, you know, play mass, deck boxes, car, uh, dice boxes, card sleeves, the usual thing, the enhanced ergonomics, the enhanced mobility, the enhanced protection. We've talked about this. The equip mag system, snap, snap, snap. The magnets they attach your boxes together. You can do you can do like cool things where you can take two of your boxes and snap it on either side of the dice box, and you get like a custom uh, manipulatable multi-deck carrying system. You can snap that stuff to your playmat. You carry it all around in a single hand. You slide it in your bag, whatever you want to do. You can get these at your LGS if they know what they're doing. Or preferably, you go to heavyplay.com. You use our code for this year, which is the Dive Down 2024 for 10% off of your first order there. Randy, as we mentioned, will be uh, at MagicCon Chicago. I know that people from the company are also going to be here in Denver. I'm going to go and shake some hands. That'll be sweet. So yes, heavyplay.com, the dive down 2024. Oh, Devin's snapping to it right now. He's got multiple. Oh, and one on each side. Rogue. <laughs> yeah, Rogue. the new way to do it. So, so uh, this week's show, y'all. I was gone last week. I, I did, here, full disclosure, I didn't even listen to our episode. I didn't listen to a single podcast, even on the airplane. I don't know what I was doing. Usually I'm listening to tons of podcasts. I'm I'm turning into David Putty on the airplane or I'm just like staring straight ahead no. at, at the seat in front of me the That's entire time. Monstrous for four hours. I'm not actually doing that. But I'm 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 disengaging in different ways. I don't really know why, but um yeah. But uh, so I didn't listen to any podcast. I looked through some notes, I saw what you talked about. Um this set is is a wild one. So I'm interested to hear what we have in the second week of spoilers. We're going to talk about our top five cards from the set as well. I'm curious to see how many of these overlap. I think there's some, there's a lot of unique cards. I mean, they're all unique unless they're reprints. Turns out, but, turns out. But I think there's some interesting tools for some cool decks, some powerful decks. And I think there's also some potentially new tools that do some cool combo-y things. So I'm excited to talk to you all this week about the second batch of spoilers. We also have... What's the name of that set, Shane? Murders at Markov Manor? Yes. Is that it? It's no. Okay. It's it's Murders at Karlov Manor. <laughs> you did what everybody oh. does. It's not Markov oh. We got another one. Dang Nailed it. it. Oh. We Man, opened you the set door. me up for that. We opened the door and he walked right in. Devin, uh, yeah, me. and I just—I I knew exactly. Right. I knew exactly what Shane was going to say when Dave asked that question. So funny. Yeah, <laughs> and and I I tripped over my own feet, and I did like a Chevy Chase pratfall back yep. when he was doing that. Uh, we've also got a tournament report from the Legacy European Championship in Ghent with 948 players. We can see if Modern's doing anything new. Uh, spoiler: It's not. Dave, what's why is why is there Denver? In this, this week's show. the RC at Denver is coming up, I believe, this weekend, right? Oh, yeah. After this I'm, show I'm, comes out? Yeah, I'm going to be going. I'm, I'm not going to be participating. I'm going to go hang out. I'm just going to see what's going on over there. It's not too far. There's good food over in that area, like lots of good international restaurants. So maybe I'll go grab like some West African or something. That'll maybe be you sweet. can find Shane at an international restaurant after you have a godfather. 
as we yeah, say. After, after you go up. There's a really good pho place. Like a, I mean, I don't know if it's actually just strictly pho. Uh, I, re- I remember when the boys from Chicago came in, we went there and had, a, had some really good soup. Oh, man, that was good. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that we're going to talk about Ghent in somewhat preparation of RC Denver. And I think maybe, you know, at the end, we can tie them together a little bit. Maybe we can give a little off the cuff. What would you play? Although I know what you would both play and I know what I would play. So it is what it is. I have that as a discussion point. Great. In the notes, actually. So uh, before all this housekeeping, we've got new patrons this week, a bunch of new patrons. I love seeing we have returning folks. We've got Matt M. I think Zach B. is also a returning patron. That's right. We've got uh, Austin B., another Zach, Carlo M. Uh, Thank you all for becoming citizens or returning uh, from overseas. You got your your visa restamped or whatever. I don't know. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm loving to see the increased engagement with the pod. We truly appreciate the support helps keep us going. Uh, We've got an increased tier from John. Thank you, John, for getting that swag sent your way. We also have some new comments. I'm not going to call them reviews on Spotify, Alex N and Ethan unofficial. Thank you for engaging with the pod on Spotify. If you want to be like all these nice folks, join the Patreon, go to patreon.com com slash the dive down you know i'll say um if you if you like us we we appreciate the support and if you feel like hey you know i just i, I just kind of like these guys it's okay too you know if support someone else as long all i wanted you to do this week is if you're not supporting a podcast or a content creator out there that you really enjoy um think about signing up and just whatever they're doing and throw some bucks their way because, you know, it's fun to do this stuff, but a lot of people make it their whole livelihood. Thankfully it's not ours, but uh, you know, like Devin out there, if you, if you watch Devin, feel free to get on uh, his Twitch sub. So, or uh, if you, you know, don't want to do the regular thing, go to our store, the divedown.com slash store, get yourself some swag there. Or if you want to just do some affiliate style stuff, you can go to managerators.com. If you want to get 10% off of your first two months of the very best magic online rental service. I do want to say something about Manitraders real quick. Oh. So Manitraders, not particularly, um, what am I trying to say? <laughs> they don't, they don't talk a lot. Uh, you know, I don't see, they're kind of quiet. Like they're there, they're always there. They're doing what they're doing. However, I believe they have a rather interesting product innovation to announce as soon as oh, I yeah, can I saw get that. on Twitter and find them. What? I think that they are saying that they now have a, a rental part of their rental service. Instant rent delivery, no more wait time. So it says, uh, they said over the past few months, we committed our efforts to developing this innovative feature, ensuring that you can receive your rent within a few seconds, 99% of the time. So yeah, I mean, I guess it's now, what? yeah, I, I actually tested this out within the past couple of weeks where, cause typically you would, you know, you go to the website, you click on rent and you maybe wait like, you know, a minute or two literally within, I think five seconds of me clicking rent, it just instantly went to the trade. So I have no idea how that could work. I really I have either. no idea how that could work. And honestly, the dark magics that Manitrader uses to work by connecting the bots. Dot, dot .net widget to <laughs> bots written in basic. Who I I have VB there's probably like VBL Visual Basic involved. I don't know what's going on. But listen, Manitrader's does a lot to make their service work and they're still out there making it better when honestly, they don't even have to make it better. Yeah, you're and right. And they did. So uh, I think, you know, if you haven't tried out Manitraders for renting 
cards on Magic Online. Check them out. It's definitely worth the cost. Lots of different tiers to try, several different formats to try. I think uh, go for it. The code is in the show notes because like I said, we're going to try the rotating codes. This one is the dive down underscore 3YO. That's good through the end of February. And that's it. Okay. Legacy, right, Euro- time. Legacy European Championship Ghent. Now, I did, Shane, I- you, were, you were not here, but you were kind enough to write up because uh, I know you were watching every minute of this stream. <laughs> I should have been. Um, no, so I did the did the usual. I, I looked at the, I looked at what happened, and I asked myself: Has modern continued to be stable? Are people adapting in any way? Can they adapt in any way uh, with the current cards that we have there? Because you know, looking at trends on goldfish, not much has been shifting over the last few months. At this point, especially at the top of the meta, like we've got Rhino, Scam, Yogg, Merktide, Amulet. Those are the top five spots. They have held those top five spots for quite some time, and they still do. But even the next tier down has been really stable as well, right? We've got the usual suspects, Living End, Hardened Scales, Hammer Time, Domain Zoo, Omnath, Green Tron. They're all basically hanging out at like 2 to 4% of the metagame. So it's like, okay, what's going to go on again? Did anything different happen? Uh, the answer is no. We Our overall meta is Rhino 16 Scam, 16, Yogg, 12, Merktide, 9, and Titan, 9. So the top five here is exactly the same and essentially in the same order as it has been for months. So you can essentially expect about 60% of your metagame, I think, to be these top five decks until anything changes in the meta. So that's good and bad. Like if you're a competitive-minded player and you want to say, okay, I could prep for 60% of the meta, I know what I need to prep for. Um, So yeah. But what's happening after that here again is kind of more of what we expected, I think. We've got Scales at 6, Living End at 5, Hammer at 4, Omnath, Domain Zoo, Tron, and Coffers at 3%. So, yeah. Devin, I mean, what Show are we me all thinking about this? Again. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are we all thinking about the, this uh, stable meta, especially when the deck that you two like to play is sitting here at the top of the meta consistently? I mean, <sighs> It's modern, right? Like it's it's really hard to say anything else at this point because we've kind of like 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 Shane said we've gone through this for the past 6 7 8 months and I mean I don't I don't foresee anything changing anytime soon. Uh if you look at these decks like Rhino Scam, Yogg and Murktide, the reason that they're the most played decks is because they're the most well-rounded. Right, rhinos like it, it not just in terms of matchup spread, but in terms of how they play out. They all they all have aggressive draws. They all can play late games. Uh, maybe less so with Titan, but I mean, yeah, it's just like it's really hard to find a deck that has a, a good matchup against all five of these because they attack from so many different angles. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting to see the way that it, even in this like metagame sh- share spread from MTGDecks.net, uh, not the not the metagame share, but the win rate chart where it's kind of like, wow, you know, like Yawgmoth is good against these seven decks, but average against these other ones. And then Teamer is good against some of the other ones. And Amulet's good against some of the other ones and bad against the other ones. So it's like very interesting to see how this is evolving. I mean, I will say out of this top tier, um, I don't know if you want to get into win rates now. Oh, there's, no, there, give me, give me one sec. You want to do your setup? No, Go no, I guess we, I mean, we let's, might as well. I mean, we've got, we've got the deck performance, right? Like, and like you said, MTG decks has the win rate matrix. And yeah. I, before we get into the known decks, I want to talk about four decks that did way better than everything else 
but with way less sample size. Love it. And uh, so, you know, I, I will say many fewer matches to work from. But, you know, if you want to go out and start playing Is It Wizards or something, go right ahead. Uh, so some hot decks at Ghent included Is It Breach, which was a 66% across 47 matches. Um, it's pretty heavily weighted from one player, as we'll get into. A Martyr Proc was 64%. Across 33 matches, is it Wizards? 60% across 15 matches. So at least two people brought is it Wizards? And I like Wizard Izards a little bit better than is it Wizards, but that's just me. And then finally, we have Demir Shadow, 58% across 48 matches. So, you know, all you new Wizards out there at the next big tournament, I hope to see you. Can we? But, can, well, wait a sec. Before we get off of this, like you brought up Cool Decks Inc. Yeah. Can we talk about Cool Decks Inc. real quick and just yeah, sure. describe a couple of these decks? Do you have them up? I have a couple of them up right now. I mean, Is It Breach, I think, is it doesn't look like the, this particular list from Ghent. And I'm looking at the player who went 10 and 5, Francisco Sanchez at Ghent. Um, this deck list looks pretty stock to me. I think about the newest card that is in here, glancing through it right now, is Stern Scolding. <laughs> There's a yeah. once there's one of Stern scolding in it, but otherwise, you know, it's it's what you expected. the The deck that I wanted to talk about for a minute that's sort of interesting and weird is um, is it Wizards? Because this has been a thing that's been a joke a little bit for a long time. I think that people thought that Wizards might become a thing. For example, like Wizard Burn and Pioneer, all because of the card Wizard Lightning or Wizards Lightning, not mm-hmm. Wizard Lightning. It'd be a lot cooler if it was wizard lightning <laughs> wizard lightning yeah but uh wizards lightning so i, I want to give you the contours of this deck if you all have not seen it oh screen share oh you know you know i know how to run a zoom call I, i'll do a screen share dave do you not use ad blocks I, what's an ad block oh my gosh shane i work in the advertising industry you think i want to take money from my children's own, <laughs> own mouths keeping moths yeah <laughs> Feed me. Enjoy these ads. All right, so here's what's in this deck. And I'm going to tell you which which of these cards are wizards and which ones aren't. You ready? Yep. So, Magus of the Moon. Wizard, yes or no? I'm yes. looking at it, David. Yes, sure is. Sleep Cursed Fairy. Do you all remember this from, yeah. from Hell Wilds yeah. of Eldraine? That, that like, cool like ward thing. Yep, flying tap it. Ward 2, 3-3, three, three, has three stun counters on it, and you can pay to untap it, but it's a 3-3 three, three flyer for one. That is a wizard. Snapcaster Mage. Oh, on, Dave, Dave, Dave. Yes. Y- you're a wizard, fairy. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Wizard confirmed. I will say, I am looking at a list here. Give me one second. I'm looking at a list of, is it wizards, by someone who went two and four. <laughs> Let me see if I can find. It's not the not the best record. Maybe not the one to look at. All right, here's 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 one where someone went nine and six. Screen name Elliot Dragon. Top yeah. one twenty eight. Okay, this one's slightly different. Four spell stutter sprite. Four sleep cursed fairy. Two snapcaster mage. Three Tishana's Tidebinder, one brazen borrower. Four subtlety. So we have a pretty good amount of wizards here. Not quite as many as the previous list. And then we got one Chalice of the Void. And then here's where the, the wizard stuff comes in. You got four Flame of Anor, which, you know, given what's happened with Rhinos, I don't think too surprising to have somebody try to make a linear deck, non, non-Rhino non deck that can play Flame of Anor. And three Wizard Lightning, along with four Counterspell, four Lightning Bolt, one Spell Pierce, two Force of Negation, and then stuff, including three Mutavault. <laughs> stuff. Stuff. Yeah. There's also an Agatha's... There's an Agatha's Soul Cauldron in here. <laughs> well, the sideboard. Hey, wow. 
Soul Cauldron goes kind of hard with uh, Sleep Curse Fury. That is very interesting. Sweet. It's, prob- it's probably like a like an unlicensed source type card that you know occasionally you can do something with. Yeah. Anyway, what? All right. What do we think about this sleeve? Believe heave, Devin. <laughs> uh, heave maybe. Mm. I think. I think I you know. have to be a lot better at magic than me to maximize this deck. Yeah, it's not going to stop me from from trying it sometime though. It but looks I, cool. I, yeah, it does look fun. All right, and then Demir Death Shadow. I mean, we know this this deck, don't we? We know, but it's always good to have a look and see if, if there's anything strange going on in it. So this is by Albert Cordobes, who came in uh, top 64, 11 and 4 with this deck. Pretty good. Um, we are looking at a blue-black scam deck, is what we're really looking at here. Ooh. So it's Bowmaster, Shadow, Voidwalker, Street Wraith, Grief, Murktide Regent, Brazen Borrower, Tide Tidebinder. You got a four-pack of Not Dead After All, one Undying Evil. So it's blue-black scam with Shadow as a payoff instead of instead of uh, going a different way, you know, playing red cards, for not example. A of, not a lot of blue cards here. Only four Preordain, a Murktide, and a Borrower, and a Tidebinder. So pretty light on blue. Yeah, it's actually mostly it's only, it's just mostly like mono black scam actually. I like Although, I like when you go off Mike Devin. It sounds like you're like looking inside a drawer at like a third monitor. Like he's like he's like let me get the deck microscope out and just make sure that I'm really like dialing it in. I gotta move the mic when I move my my tilt my head. You know, no, we I, I move my mouth away from the microphone when I breathe in. We want people Chocolate to have a sense. Rain. Of, yeah. We want people to have a sense of space when they listen to our podcast, so I think it's fine. There are a bunch of red cards in the sideboard, though. All right, this deck, I think, interesting. Oh, so it's a fake Grixis deck. Is what you're it's saying. a fake Grixis, yeah. It's got a sideboard full of red cards. All right, how do we feel about this? Mono Black Grief plus a few blue cards. What do you think? Worth a shot? Street Wraith underplayed. I mean, I, I believe just because it has Grief and not that after all, but... Mm. I think I this l- is fair. I like all these cards. Okay. I don't know how much Grief. the blue helps, though. That's kind of what I'm, I'm questioning, you know? It's like, basically, the red in Scam gives you kind of a different angle of attack with Ragavan, Fable, the Mirror Breaker. And this is really just like, you know, more pressure with some preordains, I guess, is what you're mainly splashing for. But, I mean, it's interesting. So, I'm not going to talk a lot about Martyr Proc, which is the last deck that Shane mentioned. Uh, I will mention... Martyr Proc, at least in one of the lists that went 10 and 4, is running 4 of the 1 ring and 4 reprieve, which is maybe a little bit different than I was expecting. But what's interesting is one deck went 10, 2, and 3, and the other one went 10, 4, and 1 Whoa. with these kind of like Martyr's builds. Redraws. I like it. Wow. The 1 ring is probably good in a deck where you have a lot of life. Hey, check it out. Eagles of the North showing up in, in something finally. We knew it wouldn't take long my for favorite the White Cycler to show up. Yeah. Yeah, the Children of the Eagles of the North. All right, so there's your Cool Decks, Inc., real quick. Oh, cool. Thank you for that diversion, David. Well, I think people are more interested in that than hearing about... I mean, honestly, about, yes, yeah. about win rates from decks they already know. Like, yeah, I mean, let's talk about some real decks, I guess. Like, okay, I'm going to start at, like, the best performing, and we can talk about them as much as we would like, which is hopefully not very much. So we've got Four Color Omnath actually did well here, 54% across 239 matches. Um, Omnath seemed like a good selection here. It had strong to middling mashups across much of the field. Like it was 56 against Cascade, 50 against Scam, 45 against Yogg, a pretty poor 39 against Titan, but 60 against Murktide, and they kind of cleaned up the larger field. Creativity did well, 54% across 143 matches. Um, it was stronger against Omnath against the top decks. Like it was 80% against Scam. 
What? Um, That's 50, unreal. <laughs> 54 against Yogg, 60 against Murktide, but then kind of like much less good against the larger field. A lot of sub 50% matchups in this tournament. And then we had another 54% deck in Yogmoth. Um, it had, you know, the expectedly weaker matchups against like Rhinos and Amulet, but was strong against Scam and Murktide and generally pretty excellent against the wider field. Like Yogg is really amazing. It's Murktide. It had a nice 69% win rate across 78 of the matches. Pretty nice. darn good. Very yeah. nice. Um, and then both of our Cascade decks in Living End and Rhinos were at 53%. They got there in very different ways. However, like Living End is leaning really heavily on the Rhinos matchup. Like it was a massive 77% against Rhinos across 60 matches, but then it was weaker against like Scam, Yogg, and Titan. Um, and those are all the decks that Rhinos crushed at around like an average of 60% against those three decks, right? And 10 of the top 32 decks were Cascade. Either more Ooh. more Rhinos and Living End, but there were some Living Ends in there. So Cascade continues to do well in the format. I think Living End kind of is your anti-Rhinos deck. It's like not really truly bad against other top decks, but it's not as like it's not as good as Rhinos is generally, like against the top tier of the format. So Titan was pretty mid, 51%. It was weak against Rhinos and Scam, like around 40%. Um, slightly better against Yogg and only 37% against Murktide. But it gets a really big edge at this tournament, cleaning again, cleaning up against much of the rest of the field. Um, it had a hard time with like this top-heavy metagame. And so you know, the metagame's not really shifting right now. Unless you're a Titan Master, I don't know like what you're really getting edgewise in against this uh, the meta that we're in right now. But I'm not a Titan person, so I don't know. Um, domain, a deck that we've seen kind of vacillate um, up and down in the the performances, had a pretty average event, only 50%. I I'm not really sure how the 50% math even works out when I'm looking at this matchup spread. Like it's poor against the top five, uh, four against four of the top five big decks losing matchups against Scam, Rhinos, Yogg, and Titan, and then a really big 79% win rate here against Murktide. But then much of the rest of the matchups didn't look particularly amazing either. So, you know, Domain appears to have dipped a bit over in Ghent this past weekend. Murktide, very Murktidey, 49% win rate polarized matchups you know it's trying to lean on these good win rates against rhino scam and tight but then it was pretty poopy against yogmoth like murktide's major weakness too is like poor matchups against a lot of the tier two decks a lot of 50 percent or lower win rates outside of the top decks in ghent so that's kind of like the you know the, the big decks i don't want to talk about every deck out there but other popular decks included scales at 49 um, still great against Scam, a nice 69% win rate there. Coffers was 48 and Hammer at 47. So what's missing from what we've talked about so far, my friends? Did you notice? Well, you didn't talk about the one that I was going to start with, so I'm glad I let you go through your notes before we do it, which is yes. Scam, yes. which is the biggest surprise for me looking at this list, at least, given all of the you know chicken little... I mean, I, <laughs> who knows? Scam, scam could come back again, of course. It it's it's all randomness variance happens but in this tournament at least it was looked like a very vulnerable or very beatable 46 percent win rate and as you've pointed out here it had a losing matchup against rhinos really bad yogmoth pretty bad was good against titan but got smushed by murktide and scales yeah. as well 31 against scales that's pretty bad yeah <sighs> brutal uh 
Burn was 42%. That is all. Let's talk about the, that, that, Dave, do you remember, or Devin? I mean, I don't know if you remember this. Remember watching Sports Center in like, you know, before high school in the, the 90s? And then every NASCAR race highlights, they would say where Dick Trickle finished up. Like, and Dick Trickle was 39th, just like as a gag. That's me and Burn anymore. Burn's 42%. Uh, top eight, Stephen Manelli on Rhinos. This is a pretty stock build. One Merc Tide, one Bone Crusher main, one uh, Dismember as well. I think people are hedging against kind of the scam matchups out there. Uh, I think an interesting inclusion I saw in this deck and a later top eight deck spoilers was Urtai's Scorn, which is a one blue blue counterspell. It costs one blue less or just blue less if an opponent casts two or more spells this turn, which I think is a good option against Living End. Mirror match too. Yeah, mirror match. That makes sense. Yeah. So cascading. Sideboardable, cheap, no non-conditional counters, non-conditional conditional counterspell kind of. Yeah, it's like you. Yeah, you can't you can't bring in your um whatever that blue counterspell is that I'm forgetting the name of, mystical dispute. Yeah, you can't bring that in um against these. It works with the mana considerations because it's one blue blue, but then it costs you uh, one and a blue for the against the cascade deck. So it seems pretty smart. Yeah, I think the the first time I saw that was on Nassif's stream. I think he was playing one or two copies. What's really nice about it too is it costs two mana. Right. So if you're having like a fight on turn five, you can play your cascade spell and then also stall this to back it up. So love it. Uh, Borja Yanez Carvajal on Yogwath. This looked pretty stock to me. I mean, you know, these decks all basically are stock. They probably have like one or two cards different, but it looks like Yogwath to me. We had Martos, just Martos, on Green Tron, looking like a slightly modified version of like the Pro Tour handshake list with four, but they had four Sylvan Scrying, uh, two Chromatic Star, three Dismember, and two Urza's Saga. Fourth place, Daniel Toledo on Yog. Looks pretty stockish to me. Fifth place, Rodrigo Togores on Living End, doing the Living End things. Sixth place was Nils Gutierrez von Parat on Is It Breach? Not a grinding breach deck. This just kind of looks like, you know, aggressive is it tempo for DRC, for Ragavan, for Ledger Shredder, ton of interaction, Mishra's Bobble, and then the three breach just for explosive finishes, recurring, that good stuff, etc., etc. Seventh place, Etienne Egenschweiler. I love that name. On Yogmoth. Um, so yes, if you're counting at home, that's three Yog folks in the top eight doing Yog Three Yog and two Rhinos in the top eight, huh? Spoilers, Dave. So yeah. yes, eighth place, Marco Del Pivo on Rhinos. He went with three Tidebinder main, two Murktide main. Uh, he said that Murktide was good against the Mirror, and uh, he also had the Singleton Urtai Scorn in the board. Uh, if you remember, Marco top-aided Pro Tour Lord of the Rings on Rhinos as well. So, you know, hire this person as your coach if you want to get better at Rhinos. And Marco Marco took the whole tournament down. So congrats and Rhinos forever. I, I second Rhinos forever. I will say, will say that. I mean, <laughs> Rhinos, Rhinos for now, Rhinos in my heart forever. I mean, it's a little wild to see. I guess there was only one living end. I mean, when there's this much Yawgmoth, I guess Rhinos doing well is a little helpful, right? Or like, it's a pretty good matchup. Rhinos yes. versus Yogmoth, and so when there's three in there, you have a good chance to draw them. You know, there's only one living end, maybe you get to avoid them, so, you know. Yeah, the living end player paired into Yogmoth, and going by the stat sheet, I mean, MTG Dex is 48% living end against Yogmoth, so it's not that bad, but I, I do think that Yogmoth is generally pretty ahead in that matchup. Mm -hmm. So, interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, modern, I will say- stable, baby. It is, and there's an interesting tweet from someone who I like to bring up on the show occasionally, Anil Yahi, who posted a matchup matrix of the most present modern archetypes 
where they had something like a sample that was like a night, whatever sample gave him a 90% confidence interval on the, um, on the win rates that he had. And so if you want to look at that, it's pretty interesting as well as an addendum to just this individual tournament, because a number of these boxes on his matchup chart matrix aren't even filled in because they don't really have 90% confidence intervals, but there's a ton of matches that do. And it really just kind of snaps in pretty nicely with what we saw at Ghent, of course, which is, you know, Foot falls is towards the top and the matchups all make the same, but I think it's worth looking this up as well. If you want to see a 50,000 foot view of the format ever since the last bands, basically. Yeah. I mean, Dave, you asked me earlier or asked us earlier, like what we would play. And I feel like based on the math and based on the meta, like there's not a real reason I think you could, that I would take anything besides rhinos personally, because I know rhinos, but if I knew Yawgmoth, like basically I don't see why you don't play just rhinos and Yawg if there's like money on the line, because they're the most consistent decks and they have the widest decent matchup spread like rhinos is only really a dog to living end but like living end isn't a huge portion of the meta and like yog's not going to do well against rhinos but it's still salvageable and you're just so like solid against so much of everything else but like you know i think other decks are defendable like but like titan is just so sketchy against some of the popular decks like rhinos and murktide it's like kind of hard to justify saying like yeah i'm gonna take titan to this tournament I mean, it's even 43% against Evoke in this tournament today. It's yeah. only 51% overall. It's only 50, you know, it's only 50% against Living End. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and like, going, looking at Scam, like, I think, like, it's pretty clear that it's lost a step in some way, shape, or form. It's, like, not the tier zero scourge of the format any longer. And I think that's just kind of like the story of Modern right now is that you can pick a deck that can really be strong against certain things, but isn't as good against the field as the uh, perhaps the, the best two decks in the format of Rhinos and Yawgmoth. And I think there's some cards we're going to talk about today. I think it's in today's spoiler that I think also might even be able to go into Yogg and make it even better. You know, we just keep adding cards to Yogg-Moth. Why not? Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, what are, you, what are you thinking, Devin, Dave? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. I mean, looking at this, like this matchup chart, just like what I look at, when I look from left to right is the number of boxes that have green in them. So like, you know, like you said, obviously Cascade and Yawgmoth, but past that Amulet Titan does have, you know, a decent amount of green here, but like you said, really bad against, against Rhinos and Murktide. So probably want to avoid that. Um, I mean, you could talk me into like something like four color Omnath, which does have some pretty positive matchups against Murktide skills, living in hammer, but you know, you got a 39 against Amulet and then, you know, like a 45 against Yawgmoth. So it's kind of tough there. And then maybe Tron is the other one that I would consider. But I mean, I, I mean, I'm just playing Rhinos. If you it, like, yeah. I'm actually playing the, uh, the the SCG Con. There's a SCG Con in Hartford this weekend that I'm playing, which I'll be playing Rhinos in. So as someone who doesn't play Rhinos and would probably normally default to Rakdos, I think there's. I think I would probably still take Rakdos just because of my familiarity with the deck. But if I was going to get spicy and try to play to the th- really like the fat area of the metagame, I would take scales because it's 52% against Cascade, it's 70% against Rakdos, and it's it's a coin flip against Yawgmoth, at least at Ghent it was. Uh, it's also pretty good against Murktide, and um, that's about it, and Domain. You lose hard to Titan, you lose hard to Living End. The hammer so, time, too. 
Yeah, and hammer, hammer time as well rough. on this particular chart. But at least a couple of those are things that you might not see a lot against. So I don't know. I think you get hot against the, you know, if you get lucky and draw the real meta decks, maybe hardened scales would be what I would pull out of my quiver to do it. Um, I also don't hate, for what it's worth, I don't hate Murktide. Really? Well, again, it's 60% against Evoke, 53% against Cascade. It's bad against Yawgmoth, but it's good against Titan. So I guess depending on how much people pick it up, maybe you could give it a shot. But I probably would prefer scales just because I prefer a more assertive <laughs> style deck than Murktide, but that's me. It's weird. I think Murktide is is a little bit maybe better overall against the maybe top five or six decks. But then if you look past that, it's 39 against Living End, 35 against Hammer, 21 against Domain, 39 against Tron. So it's like you're maybe on the balance slightly better against top five, but you're a lot worse against like the, the, the more random the rest. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why I feel like I would rather go with a more like a deck with its own plan. So I thought you were going to say wizards lightning personally, but uh, you know, <laughs> I bet I, I bet I have all those cards, I guess is all I would say. Well, I know actually, I know I don't cause I don't have, I don't actually have Tashana's tide binder in paper yet. So I think I would be priced into hardened scales. All right. Shane, Shane and I got tide binders. Yeah, you guys do. <laughs> so listen, modern, Denver this weekend. I guess we'll see what happens with this. We'll probably take a look at it for next week's episode as well. Um, I don't know if this is going to be one of those things where it has a chance to be a giant RC like Atlanta was the last time. Footnote on Denver, by the way, it's the ninth. So it's not this upcoming weekend, but it's the weekend after. Thank you. Yes. Okay. The weekend after. I don't want to have um, people like flying to Denver this weekend. And you know, well, was my get RC? to Denver now. <laughs> Come see get me. to Denver now. So I guess two weeks from now, we'll see what happens with that particular, but it's, it's probably going to be another rather large event that we can look at and see if anything changes from there. If you get here a week early, look me up. I got a guest room. I'm sure my, my, my wife will, will love to have you over. <laughs> at least one or two. <laughs> Let's get out of here. You know, we'll just go straight into the dive down. I can stop talking about decks. We can start talking about cards, uh, a set I have barely looked at because I've been busy since I landed very late Sunday. So I, I did I did pick out six cards I like, and I'm interested to see what we talk about this week. So let's do this. All right, it is time for week two of spoilers from the poorly named murders at Markov Manor. Do you think historically week two is more interesting or less interesting than the first week? I think historically week two was more interesting, but they started spoiling cards in a different way. And now they give you the good stuff off the top, I think. And then yeah. there's kind of this like tale where you're like, I don't know. I mean, there's some bangers here, I think. But there's a lot of cards in this particular batch that I don't think I understand how they work. I do have to ask you all, speaking of creepy mansions and murder, um, have, have any of you have any of you watched The Traders? Oh yeah, I I I love to hate it. I love to hate that show. The American version or yeah, the, the like American a UK version. version? Yeah. I just watched one episode of it last night. Am I should I stick with it? Shane? I mean... Because you do not uh, watch a lot of reality TV, and no. this is like a hit list of reality TV. I think I think the game is good. I think the, the people they get on the game to play it are complete and utter morons. And <laughs> it makes it really frustrating because it's like, you're playing a good game badly. And, yeah. and I think that's part of the fun, is just like, you know, you know, these people are messing up, but uh, it's... It's worth watching. I mean, the I think hosting if, is unbelievable. Oh, he, yeah, Alan, Alan Cumming Alan is yeah. he's he's he should get like a, an Emmy for his his. He's just amazing. Um, so funny. 
Do you know that he has a Tony and an Emmy? Okay. Yeah, that's it. Not surprised by that. Yeah, no, he's great. How do you know that off the top of your head? I because I recently looked anything. up. I recently looked up Alan Cumming. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Well, I will stick with it. I, you know, I watch a lot of reality TV. So yeah, I think it's like a reality TV all star like thing. You know, there's like people yeah. from all all the things. There's like that one lady from uh, Survivor. Oh, see where we went. This is where you survivor is like top tier reality. And I'm like, just give me absolute trash of below deck. Uh, uh, there's like, there's like four housewives, which is yeah. like, I don't, a lot know, of housewives. I don't know anything about that. But. Good thing. It's a mansion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I was going to say, Oh, the other thing I was going to say is yes, it, it is like a greatest hits of reality TV, but it's, it reminds me a little bit of like, now that's music. Remember <laughs> like the vibe of, of those collections that people used to put, where it's just like a year of radio hits. Yes. Like that's what the casting feels like for this. It's like, now that's reality TV on the traders. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty good. All right. Let's talk cards. Dave, you know how I, you know how I listen to podcasts at like one, 1. 1.2 to 1.4 speed. Is it to avoid discussions like that? No, the, the traders is a show. I wish I could watch it like 1.2 speed. <laughs> Cause it's just like, God, this takes, this is too long. That's very funny. Just recording right. and watch it after. Good That's point. true. You got TiVo. I know you do. <laughs> boop, boop. All right. I'm just going to go through these cards. You know, last week, Devin and I traded. I, we only have like 10 cards here, 12 cards to go through. So I'm just going to go through top to bottom. Some of these I think are very Christmas land, but I think they're worth picking, mentioning because people, um, people are pretty into them on social anyway. So the first card I want to start with here is Reenact the Crime which is a generic blue, blue, blue for an instant that says, I exile target non-land card in a graveyard that was put there from anywhere this turn. Copy it. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. You know people are going to try to break this card. Am I right, Devin? Yeah. Anytime you put the words you may cast without paying its mana cost, people are going to yeah. put it in their deck and they're going to do some degenerate stuff with okay. it. This yeah, might put, be my put, favorite card in the set. Put oh, from, really? So put from anywhere. So you can mill it. You can you know, discard. Discard it. Yeah, discard it. Okay. It can dot. You couldn't have cast it already yeah, in yeah. the turn and have some, and then use this to, to fork it. Basically the world's worst fork ever <laughs> would be this. I guess you could do like, I guess a lot of stuff goes into your grave. Like, you know, like the, what's the, like the sacrifice, like, you know, you cast it for the cheap cost and then it goes to your graveyard and you can, you're supposed to get it back out with something expensive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you talking about evoke? Yeah, sure. You can evoke something and then put this and then well, what's, do this what's if like, you want. I mean, not that you do this with Kroxa, but what's the mechanic on Kroxa? Escape. Escape. Yeah. yeah, sure. Wait, wait, wait. So this is the new scam spell. You just evoke a grief and then you pay four mana to get another grief. <laughs> yeah. You, right? I love that you know. You know. I mean, it goes right in that blue-black <laughs> evoke deck we were just talking about, the blue-black shadow deck. Triple blue. Mm, yeah. Mm. Well, they don't have many other blue cards, so obviously they have space for this many pips. Oh, that's a good point. Um. All right, so this they can card. Push subtlety. Yes. However, people are looking at this from. So this is an instant. Like this is this is where people are going with this card. This is an instant, so we can cast Emrakul, right? So if you bin Emrakul, <sighs> trigger on the stack, you can cast this in response oh, yeah. to it. It'll come back. On on the flip side, people are trying any spell as well. It's not just creatures. So they're thinking about like omniscience is kind of the top end of the scale. Mm -hmm. But there are, are lots of different targets for this. I'm sure that in some formats, people are just going to be using this to like cast a Traxa early in Pioneer or something like that as well. You know, I mean, it still so, costs four. It does still cost four. Four is cheaper, but there are <laughs> lots of interesting things cheaper that than I 13, think. Cheaper than 13, yes. Yeah. Or it's cheaper than yes. 10, too. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what the exact build of this is, but I do think that people are going to be doing a lot of wild stuff to figure this out. You know, there's something like Underworld Cookbook is something that lets you discard and 
get value and discard a card for free for just a, an activated ability. You know, there's another card that I saw <laughs> a, uh, ever talking about on Twitter that I forgot about that is uh, Lotleth Troll, which I don't think that goes mm-hmm. necessarily goes great with Reenact the Crime, but no. I'm just bringing it up by way of mentioning there are lots of cards we've all forgotten about that say discard a card, colon, do something. Maybe not lots, because it's a powerful ability, and I think we know it's powerful now, but there, there are random things out there that are going to make some kind of engine to make this card go. But Devin, mm-hmm. where do you feel like, do you have a sense of where you feel like you would explore first with this, or where you think this might go first? Uh, so there's I think two places that I that I want to try. The first is in modern, like you mentioned with um, Embrical and that that kind of package. But like, what's nice about it is because it works well with Embrical and, and Underworld Cookbook, it kind of gives you some redundancy on Gorio's Vengeance. Mm-hmm. So you can do this kind of blue black. You have like four Gorios, three or four reenact the crime, and then your discard outlets being Cookbook Saga for Cookbooks. That gives you redundancy there, and then you can play four Gristlebrand, four Emrakul. So you kind of just have a ton of redundancy up the curve. Um, and also because you get to play blue black, you can also maybe get enough blue cards in there to play subtlety and grief. Mm-hmm. So you're, I mean, you would play grief anyways, but um, so that's kind of the first place I see it. And then the second place I, I'm kind of like more arena brain as of late, cause I've been playing a lot of standard and timeless and timeless. We have faithless looting and we actually also have omniscience and timeless. So there's no Emrakul on arena, but you can go, you know, looting, discard omniscience, reenact the crime and then go from there. I don't know what the rest of that deck looks like. Right. But uh yeah, looting is a good discard alert for this too and fable. I will say for when I first read this card, and I don't I don't think there's as many good enablers in pioneer for this as there are in modern or timeless for that matter, but this feels like the type of card that would be super annoying if somebody solves it in Pioneer, because I don't know if Pioneer has the tools to fight like a card like this being good. Yeah. Like this makes me think about like um what were those like emergent like the, the seven mana ultimatums is an emergent ultimatum. Yeah. Like like Lotus payoffs, like those like giant cards. Not that this would go in Lotus, but this the flavor of this feels a little bit like it's power level that would be super annoying in Pioneer if someone can figure it out. Well, we do it in Pioneer. We do have Fable the Mirror Breaker to discard it for free. And right. I guess you could go super deep and play Insolent Neonate. And then your payoffs in there would be Omniscience and the 13 mana Emrakul. So maybe there could be something there. Yeah. So anyway, I, I do feel like there's something to this card, but I think it's going to take a minute to figure it out. Yeah. Shane, any thoughts on uh, <laughs> this type of. This is so outside of a deck that I feel like I've ever see you, seen you try to play. This costs four mana and it has three blue pips. <laughs> yeah. Pass. He's off it. I don't He's think I've ever it. cast a cryptic command or anything that cost this in my life. Yeah. You know that occasionally I would try to narset Emrakul people. So that's, uh, you know, I, I, I can go this way. All right. The next card I wanted to talk about is Insidious Roots. It's an enchantment. It costs black green. And it says, there's a lot of text on this one. Creature tokens you control have tap, add one mana of any color. Then the next paragraph says, whenever one or more creature cards leave your graveyard, create a zero one green plant creature token, then put a plus one plus one counter on each plant you control. All right. So this is a one that I was reminded about. Yeah. I was reminded about watching Spike's uh, video, Spike's spoiler video from a couple days ago, uh, which I kind of perused to remind myself of the last few cards that maybe I'd missed on the spoiler. This one, of course, when we saw it on Twitter, I was like, wow, this card is going to be absurd, but my brain doesn't work well enough to know what it's going to be good with. 
but it's going to be good. The, off the top, I mean, one thing you can think about is like cookbook, Oval Chase, Daredevil, Cat mm-hmm. Oven. That's the kind of stuff that Spike was talking about, but also makes a ton of sense to me. It's anything that's going to leave your graveyard over and over again, like Oval Chase, Daredevil, is going to do this weird stuff. Y'all can play it. Like cards leaving your graveyard with undying, like sacrificing, coming back from undying. Like you can then sacrifice like the plant tokens that get generated with like these loops. Uh, I think it's, I don't know where, where Yogg has room. Like, is that a win more card? I think people definitely test it and determine like, you know, it could be like a one ring thing or it's not worth it. Or it could be like a soul cauldron thing where it is. I think it's uh, pretty darn interesting. Um, this card dredges you guys, um, cards, really dredges (laughs) this card dredges. Um, if like, so it's just an example, Ox of Agonis, which we talked about, uh, or maybe I thought about talking about it earlier from escape. So like, if you escape Ox of Agonis, the exiled cards count as leaving the graveyard, by the way. Um, well, it's one or more. Yeah, and no, no, but note this: when you dredge, it's an individual effect, to, right? Yeah. So, like, it basically you get like five bodies and twenty power from escaping an Ox of Agonis. Let alone, let alone like Narcomiva stuff and just like you know other added value. Um, based on the rules as I understand them, and uh, I, th- but I think, I mean, I don't think this like necessarily makes dredge a thing again um but i think it's just another example of like wild crap this card can potentially do for you i didn't even think about that because i i I guess you're right where each instance of dredge even though it's all part of the resolution of the oxyphagonus's ability each separate instance is its own like you know dredge imp that's one dredge imp that's two dredge thug that's three yeah i didn't even think about that that's pretty cool uh, one thing that, you know, even so obviously it's it's really good in Yogmoth because it works well with uh, the Undying stuff, which gives you a plant token. And the other really sick thing is it not only gives you more tokens for Yogg, but it also it's like self-fulfilling where it puts the counters on the plants, which even makes Cauldron more broken because then you have a bunch of plants that have counters for when you eventually set up Cauldron plus Grist. Right. And <laughs> the other thing I was thinking is just like, just building like a, a black green fair quote unquote fair ish asmo deck with, you know, the oval chase daredevil cookbook. And then your utilization of roots is with that, but then you can also play grist because grist is good with cauldron and then cauldron works with asmo. So there's like so many different things that you can do with this card. Um, it's also tri- triggers off Vengevine, which notably Vengevine is also a plant. Yeah. I don't know if that matters, but it, it is a sweet card though. Yeah. So bottom line, something's going to happen here. Here's here's the last thing I have to say. This is the most broken enchantment that costs black green since squandered resources. And that's a callback for uh, some of you folks. Pernicious Deed? Wasn't Deed after resources? Deed, deed does not cost exactly black green, though. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> and if you know what squandered resources is, congratulations on your 45th uh, birthday. Actually, Deed does uh, all right, Breakout is the next one. Another Red, really good green. card. Red, green, sorcery. All right, I wrote a lot about this card, so I'm going to talk about it. Yeah, vamp, baby. All right, Breakout. 
look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them. If that card has mana value two or less, you may put it onto the battlefield and it gains haste until end of turn. If you didn't put the revealed card onto the battlefield this way, you put it into your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Mini Coco at sorcery speed that gives the creature haste. Cool. Um, first thing with this, if you want this card to be good, Frank Karsten had a great tweet that said basically the odds of what, how likely are you to hit a creature if you use this card, if you have eight creatures in your deck all the way up to 26. He is advocating for putting at least 20 creatures that have two CMC or less in your deck. That gives you a 92.8% chance to hit when you play a breakout, uh, generally speaking. Dave, what's CMC? CMC. Get out of here. MV. <laughs> MV. Whatever. Mana value. Boomer. But but here's the thing that stood out to me about what he said. I, I kind of looked at this when I read this card and was like, okay, so this is like a cool combo search thing for a case where you, all your combo creatures are two mana or less, like Amalia or something like that, which I don't know if Amalia is really going to want this card, but, you know, it does dig pretty deep and it costs and it's cheaper than Coco and it lets you just get a lot of selection. And if you have a deck that's a lot of creatures that are less than two, it seems like it could work. Amalia combo has 22 hits for this card just now for what it's worth. Now the mana base, ew, that seems kind of rough, but <laughs> a little bit, Um, but I, there might be other combos in here that make sense with this though. But the thing that made stood out to me was that Frank was like, why wouldn't you put this in an aggressive deck with, prowess creatures with like creatures with prowess triggers and i was of course like okay now you're talking my language but i do think what was interesting about this note is like there is a problem with that deck generally where you want to have a good balance of spells and creatures and having a spell that's always guaranteed to turn into a creature like a questing druid is pretty good and useful and so having one that goes directly there and goes directly on the battlefield and can attack seems like a reasonable thing to consider yeah i mean this is Metamorphose-esque. You you draw a card, but it's always a creature that gets to put on the battlefield. That's I actually mean, that's a pretty good comp. Yeah, I like you it. Think about it like that way, because yeah, you're spending the two mana, you get the prowess trigger, and then instead of making two mana, you're just putting the creature right into play. I guess it's like if you're putting a one drop into play, it's a little bit different because then you know your one drop. Normally, Metamorphose would give you two mana back, but now you're only getting one mana back from it. So, yeah. But that's interesting. But do you care? You know, and the question is do you care about the buff and what are the mix of those creatures and all those kind of things? But I will say, Prowess recently has been playing 16 creatures. And in a deck with 16 creatures with Breakout, you are 86.5% to hit. A um, to hit a creature when you do this. My question for you, Shane. Yeah. Devin. Yeah. I've been throwing a lot of math at you for this. You know, when I watched Everett talking about this card, he said that he would want to have 22 or 23 creatures in a wow. deck to feel comfortable playing Breakout, which means 95, 94.8 to 95.7% chance to hit. What is your line for being comfortable with a card 85. like this working? Yours is 85? Yeah. I mean, I think like just, yeah. When I, when okay. I look at like, I mean, I would say 90. But like, you know, 85, I think is fun. I mean, if I'm playing this card, I'm playing it for fun and I'm going to build the deck in a way that's more fun. <laughs> so I'd probably edge towards 85 when I'm looking at like Karsten's mana math. When I like find that in like the archives of the internet, like the, how many mana sources do you need to cast your creatures on curve? I generally was like, okay, what gets me to 90? But I think like, I don't, I don't think I need 95 to feel comfortable. Like, like Everett's saying that seems, that seems a little 
uh, conservative? Yeah, my answer would be, I, I guess I'm kind of I'm going to give you a, a half answer here because it's basically kind of depends on the deck that I'm playing at that point. Like if I'm playing a prowess deck that is um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this where it's, you know, I'm getting something out of the, the trigger anyways. Um, then it, you know, it's not as bad because then I'm still getting a prowess trigger and stuff like that. But I was thinking where like the, where I was thinking about this card was specifically in combo decks. So, um, there is kind of like the Rona Kinnon trying to think of it. Sometimes it plays Jace Friends Prodigy, but it's, it's using a lot of those two drops as a combo. And this thing being able to just search out Rona and immediately put it into play and give it haste. That's kind of where I want to be. So it kind of depends on like the importance of the creature that I'm putting into play. Whereas in a combo deck, I'm more likely to want a higher hit rate, but in a deck like prowess, I'm, I'm a little bit comfortable having a, a little bit lower risk success rate. And I think that's a great answer. And that's part of the reason that I feel comfortable being like, if I try this out, going with a standard 16 creature package in an aggressive deck and just throwing this card in. You know, last week you and I speculated about the possibility of just a red-green prowess deck maybe being the thing to do right now. Let me ask you something that's probably totally blasphemous. How much worse is this than EI in prowess devin's like no way i don't i don't know how to respond to that without making you look like a fool yeah it's fair it's a good point it's way worse Uh, but i do think that it's if you are thinking like hey i have to i'm gonna go away from blue being in my mana base because of reasons like having a two drop that's guaranteed to give you a spell trigger and another creature or mostly guaranteed to do that is you know a reasonable kind of curve replacement for a card draw spell i think in a deck that doesn't have access to ei anymore yeah because a lot of the prowess decks lately have been wanting to kind of focus more towards greed anyways for questing druid so you could maybe talk yourself into being like maybe if you wanted to also splash for a prismatic ending or path to exile like a naya prowess deck Mm -hmm. and this would kind of be your like ei replacement but you wouldn't want to you know if you're playing teamer you wouldn't choose to play this over ei or something like that it's really if you wanted to play like a third non-blue color you know yeah yeah totally agree uh can't believe i brought up the comparison um but i i do think this is one of those classic cards that i like and then i think to myself it would be great if we played it in a fair deck but i'm almost positive that's going to get used the way that you guys both have described in some kind of combo deck yeah that's definitely where i see it like something with rona maybe like there's you, you could do like rona into kinnon um trying to think of what other two drops that deck what plays, a rogues but there's... gallery of cards you've just said <laughs> into in rona kinnon yeah. jace friends prodigy it's well, like a, so, so it's like a teamer legend combo deck i don't know i need to look up a rona deck list recently but yeah there's like the the rona and they sometimes what they use is they use tyvar to give that stuff haste so having redundancy on giving your stuff haste sounds kind of cool too yeah i like it all right next card we can keep this one short i think I just thought this card was cool. I have a couple cards here that I think are just interesting and cool, mostly on rate, that I'm curious what you all think about. So one is Gleaming Gear Drake, which is a uh, blue and a red for a 1-1 flying artifact creature Drake that says when Gleaming Gear Drake enters the battlefield, investigate. And then it says whenever you sacrifice an artifact, put a plus one, plus one counter on Gleaming Gear Drake. I mean, I think this card is really has a lot of lines of text that I like. I think it's yeah. kind of in the wrong color. <laughs> like I kind of wish it was a green card <laughs> so that you could maybe have it as some part of your, like, uh, you know, maybe you have it around for scales or something like that, or something that's a little more clear with, with what you're doing with sacrificing artifact. But this feels like an engine card for some or payoff card for something, I guess I should say. And it's cheap. 
You know what I like this card in, and I, I remember I think it was um it was uh, Oaf McNamara who brought it up on Twitter the other day. Uh, this in in Soul Artifact and Pioneer mm-hmm. because with oh. the printing of Spyglass Siren that gives you more. Uh, so you have Spyglass Siren and Shrapnel Blast, which both sacrifice artifacts, and just having a flying body means that if you insole this thing, it's now a 5-5 five, five flyer, which could be really good. Yeah, that's the first thing I noticed, is that it's whenever you sacrifice an artifact, but and it's not part of, like, you, you don't have to pay... You, you don't use its ability to sacrifice the artifact, it's just any sacrificing of any artifact, right? And mm-hmm. So, like, looking for those synergies where it's like, how am I getting... It's almost like sort of madness, where it's like, how am I getting the benefit of the discard... You know, I'm discarding something, but then I'm paying. I'm paying cheaper for the madness. It's kind of this the same idea. Like, where am I getting my my benefit for the sacrifice somewhere else, and just getting the uh, the one one counter on the gear Drake? Yeah, because in blue red specifically, you actually have two one drops. You have Epicure and Spyglass Siren, which both make a you know one a, a game object that you can sacrifice to put counters on this. So that kind of shell with Insoul seems kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Another one card that was just notable to me on rate, just because I thought it was interesting. Tomic Wielder of Law is a generic white and a black for a legendary creature human advisor with affinity for planeswalkers so it's cost one less to cast for each planeswalker you control (laughs) yeah it's got flying and vigilance and it says whenever an opponent attacks with creatures if two or most more of those creatures are attacking you and or planeswalkers you control that opponent loses three life and you draw a card it is a two four maybe this is just straight up an edh card but two mana for a 2-4 flyer that can draw you cards if people attack you is kind of interesting to me. Maybe just because it feels like you can also attack with it because it has vigilance. I don't know. See, what this reads to me is, like, I get the stats, like 3-mana 2-4 flying vigilance, but the, the second line of text basically says your opponents cannot attack you with more than one creature. Because right. they're not going to. They're not going to get to lose three life. They're not going to give you a card. So right. if that is something you're in the market for, then this could be an interesting card. Uh, but I agree. The stats aren't too bad if you have like a very heavy Planeswalker white-black deck. I don't I don't know if there are any of those. But if if something like that pops up, I could maybe see it like in standard. There's a there's a white deck that has a lot of Planeswalkers. So could see it. Yeah. Yeah, this, this feels like a Pillow Fort EDH card, but um, I'm all for it. I thought we didn't talk about Pillow Fort. <laughs> It's been so long since Pillow Fort. All right, let's talk about Pick Your Poison. Please. For a green. Uh, sorcery, choose one. Each opponent sacrifices an artifact, or each opponent sacrifices an enchantment, or each opponent sacrifices a creature with flying. You know what the it's important one- thing here is, Dave? You get to choose. Yes, you choose one. Yeah. And also, they sacrifice... Oh, it's not all three? Yeah. So it gets rid of the one ring. Yes. I think that's kind of what this this card is, right? Oh, I didn't even think about that application. No, this card's just good. Like, you know, you, you bring this in against Murktide. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've got, like, a, a green mana removal spell. Right. Dirt cheap. You know what I mean? Like, this, it, it it's it's so flexible, and it's so cheap. And the sacrifice is just gravy, right? It's not destroy. Like, it's just, it gets around so many little issues. Yeah. For me, the big, I mean, obviously one big problem with this card is that it's a sorcery and not an instant. So I think that certainly taps the brakes on it quite a bit, but it's still pretty, like, it's hard to use this against Blood Moon, for example, as like your sideboard card, because you might get caught without your basic forest and then it's hard for you to get rid of it. And that's where like nature's claim might still be better. But when I look at this card, I'm still a little bit like, are just people going to try this instead of nature's claim going forward? Because... 
it gets rid of the one ring and it gets rid of a Merktide and it has just that additional option. Yeah, I kind of, like I said, I didn't really think of the application, this being good against the one ring when I first saw it. So um, yeah, I, I, you know, I had initially thought it was going to be good against specifically Merktide, but it's like, it kills, like you said, Merktide ring, kills Saga. Um, yeah, I mean, the only kind of huge downside versus it versus, you know, it with it versus other naturalize is when you're playing against a deck that has, you know, like multiple enchantments or multiple artifacts like hammer time, for example, yeah. or even scales, right? It seems pretty awful against scales because mm-hmm. they just still just, you know, sack uh, like if you, if they have a saga and the scales or if they have, uh, you know, two artifacts, then they get to choose. Yeah, it's extremely surgical, right? Like it's not like an anti-artifact. It's not an anti-artifact deck card. It's an anti-artifact card. It's an anti-enchantment card. It's like an anti-Merktide card if we're talking about modern specifically, right? So it's like, it's it's really surgical. And in that sense, it's potentially somewhat narrow. But I think like, you know, in a heavy one ring meta, I think it's a kind of environment where you would see this, right? Like if this card existed when the one ring dropped, I think we would have seen quite a bit of it, right? So... And you still might see decks that can't run like Bowmaster have a couple of these around, like, you know, to yeah. be able to get rid of one ring and stuff like that. Like it's a different, just a different vibe. Yeah, I think it's do we, I think it's good. I think it's really good. Do we like Forensic Gadgeteer that I don't think I've read cast, this one yet? Okay, so it's two generic and a blue. Don't like for it. For whenever whenever you cast an artifact spell, investigate, and then it says activated abilities of artifacts you control cost one less to activate, and it is a oh, two three. Guy. And it makes Basalt Monolith go infinite in cube. Like what doesn't, really? Several many, several other cards do. It's a weird one. Yeah. But people are probably playing in some very weird artifact stuff with this, right? I mean, if you... Hmm, it does make your clues sack for one, so that's kind of cool. Interesting. I wonder if there's anything... I'm sure there... I haven't really gone through the, the deep dive or the database to see if there's anything this combos with in Standard or Pioneer. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff it combos with in Modern, but... yeah. Because it seems like for the mana cost slash body slash just general dirtiness of the card, you probably can't do something like this in modern. So if there's anything that goes with in Pioneer, I can't think of anything off the top of my head per se, but it's definitely an enabler. Yeah, to what a lot of my friends say about me. All right, how about Assemble the Players? Generic and white enchantment. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. Once each turn, you may cast a creature spell with power two or less from the top of your library. People have been talking about this card. Um, I think it's interesting because this is a card. (laughs) This is yet another card that can help bring back humans, my friend, which I have my doubts, but I thought I would just mention it here and see if I'm missing something because I I don't think this card is going to happen. And I also feel like cards like this that let you play cards off the top of your library, unless it's a land, unless it's like, you know, the effect from... um, whatever the centaur Corsair of Krufix. is Corsair of Krufix. Like experimental frenzy was never like that great. Mystic forge has never been like that amazing. I don't think I feel like this card is in the same zone as that where you often play it. And then you're like, okay, now I get to play a bunch of my cards, but it just never works out. Like you don't no. have the constraints, right? Cards don't come nah. in the right order. There's like planeswalkers that do this. Like Vivian's do this thing. Like it never, it never does what you want. Stop trying to make assemble like the players happen. Yeah. Honestly, the best application I saw for this card was on uh, Honorog on ZMTG, who posted something on Twitter a while back. And I don't know if he was joking or anything, but you can look at the top card of your deck, which means that when you have Predict, you can always know what you are looking for with Predict in Legacy Miracles. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know if he was trolling or not, but... Yeah. 
can't you just play like Library of Lang or something? Isn't isn't there another card that you can play in Legacy that always lets you look at your graveyard for cheap or uh, your library for cheaper than two? I don't know. All right. So those are the cards that I have on my list. Devin, you have a few here. Do you want to take me through some? Take us through some of these. I would love to. So the first one, the so we went through a lot of kind of the the meat and potatoes, or I guess the meat last week. So this week is really just the potatoes. <laughs> yeah, this is all side dishes. Yeah. Other other Some than maybe uh, other than maybe reenact the crime, but we might have one uh, one chili dog. But uh, so the first one up here is Case of the Gorgon's Kiss. This is an enchantment case. I love that Encyclopedia s- Brown book. Mm-hmm. One. What? what did I miss? <laughs> I don't get it. Youth, the youth, David. He's okay. talking about '80s children's books. Oh, okay. That's why I didn't get the reference. <laughs> Case of the Gorgon's Kiss, for those of you wondering. Black mana, single black, enchantment case. When it enters the battlefield, destroy up to one target creature that was dealt damage this turn. And then it's a case, so to solve it, you need to have three or more creature cards put into graveyards from anywhere this turn. And then once it's solved, it's a 4-4 death touch lifelink. So not a ton of, uh, again, my st- my focus has been m- m- mainly standard and with the Pioneer Pro Tour, maybe a little bit of Pioneer too. Um, so kind of what I'm thinking for this card, specifically in standard, where the black decks in standard are kind of lacking on one drops. They, they cut down as one of the better removal spells, but past that, the one mana creatures are all pretty terrible. Now, this is not necessarily a creature per se, but it's a, pl- a, t- a play you can make on turn one. Um, and sometimes you play it on turn three or turn four, maybe you can chump attack and, um, you know, like you send your one, one into their, their shielded or whatever they block and you kill their shielded. That's, that's nice. But the four, four, um, is like, is massive on the backside and Mm -hmm. three or more creature cards put into graveyards from anywhere this turn, which means you can mill them over. You can surveil them. You can discard to Rafine. You can discard to Inti. Things can die. Yeah. Just things can die. Bloods from Bloodside Harvester, sacrificing a Bloodside Harvester itself. So it seems like it's not that difficult to actually achieve getting three creatures and four, four death touch lifelink is, uh, is a pretty sick body. All right. I did stop and read this card a couple of times and go, Same. is there a way that I can reliably m- solve this, you know, in a, in a format where I would want to have a, you know, a body for one man. I, I'm, I wasn't sure, but it's interesting to hear that I might have a spot in standard with your, you know, your cut downs. And maybe in pioneer, you could do something with Stitcher supplier where mm-hmm. like the, the pioneer graveyard enablers are a little bit more robust in terms of their mana efficiency. So you have, you know, like Stitcher Supplier, maybe you can do, um, like you said, Lotleth Troll earlier, maybe that's yeah. going a little too deep, but there, there's probably some ways to turn this on in Pioneer too. Yep, yep. I, I guess the, the one thing I would throw out here real quick before we get off this is, even if you're in a deck that this is humming, you are not going to get that ETB to trigger more than, what, 20% of the time? Yeah, the ETB, is, the ETB is not that relevant. Right. The first it's chapter, like, I guess. It's barely ever going to come up. So keep that in mind. You really want the creature, and you really are trying to find a way to enable the creature with your deck. Uh, next one here. This one, I think, is actually kind of a banger. This is Forensic Researcher. I think I don't I haven't heard a lot of people talking about this one on the interwebs. And this is uh, two and a blue. It is a one three Merfolk Detective. It says tap, untap another target permanent you control. Or you can tap Collect Evidence 3 to tap a creature you don't control. The second line of text, not super relevant. We're not going to be tapping their stuff most of the time. We're going to be untapping our own stuff because uh, both in Standard and Pioneer, Deep Root Pilgrimage is legal. Now, we have this kind of... I think we have this in Modern. I'm sure there was another one that... um, 
I can't remember. There was there was some other way to do this in modern, but with two of these and a deeper pilgrimage, you can tap to you can tap one to untap the other one, tap that to one, like untap the other one, or something like right. that. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now that this is available to us in standard, I guess we did already have follower and pioneer, um, but you know the pioneer format. I think some people tried it and it wasn't super good. But with the card pool being the way that it is in standard, I think this one definitely has potential because I mean. Infinite one ones sounds pretty good in standard, and like the the Merfolk, the the, the Merfolk cards in standard are actually like you still have Sonote Scout, you have Vidalian Hexcatcher, uh, Tishana's Tidebinder. Like these cards are all really good, so I could definitely see there there being something here. All right, for I keep looking at that second line with collect the evidence and being like, is that how the combo works? And it's not. No. It's just that they untap each other. Right. So keep that in mind. You're not you're not worried about this collect evidence line at, at all. Yeah, you don't care about your graveyard with this card. Yeah. yeah, and it also says tap target creature you don't control. I just noticed for that line of text too. So yeah, it's it's just about that first line. And then a couple more quick hits here. These are mostly so this next one, pretty much a sideboard card, but it's a really good one. It's Krenko's Buzz Crusher, two red red for a four four flying trample artifact creature insect thopter. And then when it enters the battlefield for each player, destroy up to one non basic land that player controls. Note does not target. Uh, for each non-basic land destroyed this way, its controller may search the library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tap, and shuffle. Um, Shane and Dave, do you guys have any ideas of maybe a uh, potential non-basic land that you might want to destroy that can't be targeted? I do. Oh, and it's, Lotus. It's Lotus Field. <laughs> this is yep. so strange that they did this. I mean, the the like outcry about this templating on Twitter, of course, was like always fun to watch, as it is sometimes to see when people get mad about this kind of stuff but i'm glad that there is some card out there that can destroy a lotus field now this is pretty expensive though right four well it is but if like specifically maybe in the green red deck where you're ramping it out with elves or if Mm -hmm. you have some other way to like buy a little bit of time but honestly even if you're on the play like they're the the natural curve is they play lotus field on turn three and then like if you're on the play you get your fourth turn before they get their fourth turn so you just have four mana to cast this yeah um it is slow but i think the fact that the tempo that it provides you because they have to they have there's so much setup that involves them playing a lotus field where they have to wait till turn three they have to sack two other lands and you also now have a four four flyer so you're basically time double time walking them and putting a four four into play which i think even without ramp is still probably good enough yeah yeah they're just so far behind yeah, yeah. it's a surgical card yeah i mean i'm glad that there's kind of a fair plan slightly like a fair tool against lotus field i guess but we'll we'll see if it comes up for real right yeah no, yeah, I think it's funny that you mentioned that because um, the the Twitter discourse, because I think there was something from, I don't remember if he posted on Twitter or his blog, but Morrow actually replied to somebody's comment specifically saying that they designed this card for Lotus Field. Right, right. Yeah. They, they knew when they changed it to that it was going to do this, that it should do this. I mean, I, I even wonder, though, like there are a lot of, there are people who like to, who are big fans of Field of Ruin slash the other one. Right? There's a lot of Field of Ruins now. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Field of Ruins now. And then now you have a creature Field of Ruin, yeah. too. And so it's not the most absurd thing in the world to think, wow, like a deck that really just punishes non-basic mana bases in Pioneer. I mean, occasionally you see people have a little bit of success with, I mean, one person, M. Hayashi, <laughs> has success with that, that in Modern <laughs> occasionally. Like, I don't know, maybe there is kind of like a land destruction-y, buzz crushery deck 
in um, Pioneer that can do some some damage. Although the mana bases in Pioneer, there are so many decks that have simple mana bases that yeah, yeah might be tough. But I mean, you got what? Field of Ruin, Demolition, Volatile, the new cave one, this, and the red spell, Cleansing Wildfire. So you got five of them. That's, yeah. that's a pretty high number, especially for Pioneer. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Somebody's going to try it. It won't be yeah. me. But it would have been me when I was a teenager. I'd have been like, yeah. Buzzcrusher is a very good name for this card. Yeah, it is a good. Gotta love it. Sounds like the name of a metal band, doesn't it? Buzzcrusher. Buzzcrusher. All right, last one. Case of the Uneaten Feast. This is the last (laughs) one that I have for you. Uh, Shane, you put a a couple of notes here. This is, it's a case, so it costs a single white. Uh, Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. It's pretty relevant in some decks. And then to solve, you gain five or more life this turn. And then when it is solved, you can sacrifice this case to uh, have creature cards in your graveyard gain. You may cast this card from your graveyard until end of turn. So the obvious application here is Amalia combo Mm -hmm. because they already kind of want a bunch of soul sisters. Anyways, they have Lunark veteran, they have prosperous innkeeper. So they already kind of want that type of effect where it's, it's really cool that you get the soul sister half. And then you also get the, uh, return of the ranks half. So it's kind of like those two combined into the same card, which is really cool. The only downside is it's not a creature. And the deck does play Collect a Company and Night Errant of Eos. So you kind of have to weigh the downside of it being missed off of those versus the upside of having the flexibility of being the Soul Sister and the payoff card. Um, so I think people will try it, and I think it will be played in the deck. But I it maybe makes it so you want to shift the focus away from the Cocos and the Knights a little bit and more like tutors like court of calling and stuff that you know that you're you don't really care about this not being a creature if you have cord yeah yeah i i definitely you know when i when i look at the stat and i sort by mana value and i see this card it just seems like it just has enough of like a baseline functionality for any life gain deck and you know like you said it can recur combo pieces as you might need them. I think this, this, this card sees play. I just don't know if it's like 60 card formats, like um, maybe Amalia needs this. I I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, I think like it's, it's an interesting tool here for sure. How much does it matter that it's not a creature on the positive side? Like, are you trying to kill the soul wardens when you're playing against Amalia or do you not care? I mean, honestly, it kind of depends on like, how much removal I have in my hand versus what I'm playing. Like, you know, if I only have one piece of removal, I'm likely going to save that for the Amalia and just let them have the soul sisters. But if I'm playing a Rakdos deck and my hand is like, you know, two fatal pushes and a, and a uh, shock or whatever, I'm just going to shotgun it. I'm just going to kill everything they play. Right. Uh, and just not kind of just not let them ever develop. So the fact that it's not a creature can not a creature on the front half can matter sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because there, there of course, is a card that is just one mana with this text on it, which is a Johnny's Welcome, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have the rest of it. So it's like clearly the one mana to just be a soul sister that's not a creature is not incentive enough for someone to do it. So you really want to make sure that you are, you know, taking advantage of the cast the creature from your graveyard again. 
Yeah, and I think that half of the card is extremely relevant because a lot of times what happens is you, the way that the Amalia deck works is you do the combo, you blow up the world, they kill your Amalia, now you have nothing left because right. Amalia's ability blows everything up and that's where Return comes in where if you, say, have Return, then you can just put everything back into play next turn and go again and if you just have this in play as your, you know, your starter combo instead of the creature half, then the turn that you go off and blow up the world with Amalia will automatically flip this card because you're gaining five life that turn. And then yeah. in that instance, you don't even need the return on top because you already have the return in play, which is super sick. Yeah, and it's really sad. The one thing I really want to point out about this, because I've read this card a zillion times, and the thing that is still confusing or didn't stand out to me about this one is that this is not a thing that says when it's solved creature cards in your graveyard gain, you may cast this card from your graveyard yeah, until end of turn. It gains the ability to sacrifice it. Yep. So once you you're, you are going to gain more than five life on a turn, almost any time you're playing Amalia, if someone, you know, sets you up and you get through it. So you will, you'll, you can just leave that sitting there. And that's the part that's the insurance really. It's not that it's just the, the timing thing to keep in mind is what makes this relevant. Right. No, I like it. I think it'll see play. Yep. Cool. All right, shall we have some fun with top five cards? Close this out. Top five. Yeah, because most mostly I also I also want to revisit some cards we talked you guys talked about last week a little bit. Do you want to go first? Uh, then sure. Yeah, why not? Okay. I I have six cards, but I can probably remove one of them. So no more lies. I see it's on your list, David. David, I'm gonna I'm gonna hover over your stuff. I see it in yours as well. So we all agree Normalize is one of the best cards in the set. So, yeah, Easy peasy. It seems good. Um, Against my better judgment. I mean, I, I think we talked about this in the Pioneer channel on the Discord recently, Dave, but like blue-white control just sort of kept sneaking up and getting better and better in Pioneer. And I think that this adds to that for sure. I think it's what the best counter spell in Pioneer now, quite likely. Easily. Easily. And yeah. I think that this could see play in Modern, maybe, I think it's like it's weirdly potentially easier on the mana than blue blue uh, can pitch to subtlety and solitude. I don't know. I think it's there's there's opportunity there. I don't really care if it does or not. Like don't call me out on it. I think like you know there's potential. Um, but I think we all agree as far as pioneer and modern go, which are like the core formats we pay attention to. This is probably the most one. It's easily the first or second most impactful card from this set on the format. You think so? We pay attention to. I think so, because I think it's going to have a huge impact on Pioneer and everything else is going to have a lesser impact on anything that we're talking about. But that's just my gut. You think you think it's huge. You think it's just like, you know, a, such a good counter spell is now such a powerful tool for an annoying deck to keep rising. Yes. You know, I said this, I, I don't remember if I said it last week or maybe I was on a stream, but with the printing of Normalize, I would be sh I would actually be surprised if Blue Eye Control was not the most played deck at the Pro Tour. Ugh. Yeah. That's my call right now. I, I think you're, I think it's a great call. It's going to be, you know, and pros are so, or people at those kind of tournaments are so like primed to bring control. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Blue White was already one of the best decks in the format. It won the RC and it's been putting up insane numbers. So, I mean, I don't I don't expect that to change. And this is just going to be even, you know, it's it's more of the same, basically. Yeah. You hate to see it. <laughs> you, Let me you really plus do. one my Teferi to leave up the best counter spell in the format. You know, yikes. Um, I think Insidious Roots, which we talked about this week. I'm surprised it's not on your list, Dave, but 
Um, it's a black green card that puts token on creatures. You think it's going to make it on my no. list? Uh, yeah. I think, I think, I think there's a lot of potential here. Um, I think like both weird potential and just straight up like good goodness. So I think like, I think this card's going to do something. I, I don't, I, I think it's maybe, maybe on the level of Agatha Soul Cauldron in terms of just like weird, cool stuff for like a low cost. Um, especially, you know, it's front of mind because the Yawgmoth implications, which Soul Cauldron has as well, right? So I think Insidious Roots is extremely powerful. Yeah, I mean, it, it does stuff that shouldn't be that. done. It's on your list too. Busted card. Absolutely busted. busted. Yeah. And I think that yeah, there, like there are probably right? applications that are good with this card that we haven't even thought about because it just works with so many different cards. I would never say that a, an engine card is something that I would have figured out the apl- the proper applications for because I never True. Um, I never. No, I, want I think I'll let Devin talk more about Leyland of the Devin, Guild Pack. I, have faith I think in you. this card just sort of seems good. Devin, is is Guild Pack your are your cards listed in order? Is this your mm-hmm. number one card? Yeah. Okay. It is. Why, how? Why is this your number one card now? Because I I didn't feel like you were that felt like that much gravity around it when we talked last week, but maybe maybe I misread the conversation a little bit. I think I might have changed my mind on it. I, I just there's just a lot of so the obvious application in Pioneer just being for green devotion is just massive. If right. you ever like think about this, if you if you ever have an opening hand that has two of them, like I'm sure about <laughs> it like if you have two of them and you draw Nick those, you're never like you know what I mean? Yeah. You just cast whatever on turn two, some eight mana card on turn two. So I just think that the ceiling on this card is so high in devotion decks. That's number one. And then number two, I really do think that the application in modern Ooh. with Cyan of Draco. Uh, where it makes Cyan of Draco all colors, so it gives all five abilities to the Cyan of Draco, which is really sick. And the other really important part about it is obviously turns on Binding, turns on Kavu, turns on Deshoba Brawler, all this domain stuff. But kind of the, the subtle thing that I think a lot of people aren't realizing with this is it makes it so you don't have to fetch. Now, in an average game of Modern, you start the game at 15, you know, 16, 15, 14, somewhere in that range. And just having, like, if you just have a couple of fetch lands in play, you never take damage from your mana and your mana's perfect. So, I don't know, just like, I, I think this card just completely warps, maybe not warps, is it, it like changes the way that we play Magic when, you, when it's in your opening hand. All right. I mean... I, I'm a believer, you know, I, I, I'm surprised I left it off of my list actually, but it would have, it would have been like number five on my list to be honest. So um, this is a rare man. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. I I think that I I didn't, I don't think it needed to have four green devotion. I get what they were going with it, but let's just say, thank God the Karn is banned in pioneer because if it wasn't, then, you know, we would have a a storm. (laughs) Yep. All right, Shane, any, anything else from your list that you want to talk about? Basic land type. He's still yeah. reading about. He's still reading Leyline. I think Pick Your Poison is good. I think it's like low. I think it could fall off this list. I think it's you know it's it's weirdly narrow when it seems kind of broad. I think it's going to be a good card when it's good type thing. Kind of like a nature's claim. You know what I mean? It's good when it's good. Uh, yeah. Breakout. I think is interesting. I don't know if it breaks anything open, um, but I think that it's a interesting. I think it's a cool card that. Gives some decks that I like some tools. Do you think it could be a breakout card of the Pioneer? No, I I specifically did not go there, but I appreciate that you did, Devin. Um, That's funny. For what it's worth, I have breakout on my list. Well, maybe Devin and I will read our list after this this freeform discussion. But uh, I have breakout on my list at number three. And that's really, that's just one for me. That's just for me, I think. 
What did you all talk about um, Kylox's Volt Strider? Uh, I think it was called like Kylox's like cell phone charger. The or cell phone like charger. Yeah. yeah. The cell phone charger. Yeah. Liked it. I think I liked it as an option in, you know, we talked about blue red spells decks in Pioneer. Oh, Originally, yes. my mind had kind of moved towards Phoenix, like being a piece of the puzzle in Phoenix. But Devin brought up that there's a blue red spells deck that's just Crackling Drake. And this is probably a better fit for that deck, which yeah. is a legit deck. It's a legit other way to build, build a blue red spells deck. And I, I think that that makes a ton of sense. I do think it's a very playable card. Um, especially I, with the treasure cruise. I think this so. card's really good. Um, this card rhinos, by the way. You think this rhinos? I think it can. I think I think it can rhino. How can this? How can this rhino? I mean, it costs three, and it right. does good stuff. Okay. It costs three in team or mana, and it does good stuff. How are you going to collect evidence six with this card? I mean, you don't need to. Um, you just crew it, baby. You crew it. Yeah, you crew it. I guess you crew it with. Uh, you crew it with chartless agent. You recast. The, the cascade spell whenever it attacks no it's only it's only the ones that are from exile oh it. dang it well yeah. I, mean, I still think that it, i think no i mean you could do that very easily go for, i mean you can have if you don't have six cards there's tons of fetch lands in that deck not six cards it's six, six total mana, mana value, value. <sighs> is how collect evidence works gosh so you have to it. exile like a shardless and a violent outburst or something no, this card sucks it's not in rhinos. It does. I think it's. I think it's a legit card. In no, no. I, I think it's very. Cruise. I think it's very legit. I think six is actually a lot. Like collects up, especially like you know. I think I, I saw some murmurings of like you know this legacies or something like that. Like it can go into like is it Delver decks and it's like six mana value is is not insignificant. You know what I mean? So well, yeah. honestly, six is probably easier to do in legacy with force of will. So. Oh exactly. yes, force of will. Yep. Um. Oh, hold on. I mean, yeah. Yeah, this this it's an interesting card. I think it's really good. I don't know how good it is. So those are kind of like those are the cards I I I liked. I didn't actually look at the 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 Quake Mole that you guys were gonna are gonna be talking about. Yeah, the mole. <laughs> that's so, that's card. Uh, that card's weird. That card's good. I'm gonna read my mole, list. Mole, 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 mole. I'm gonna read my list in order really quickly because it's close to Devon's or parts of it are close to Devon's. I guess one card is close to Devon's. So I had like I intimated. I had no more lies in first. Then second, I have Onzrog the Quake Mole. Devin also has Onzrog the, the the Mole God. Is, is, it, is mole. it the Mole God or the Quake? His quake, name is it's Quake the Quake Mole. mole. Quake but Mole. It's um, the Mole God. Come yeah, on. I'm gonna let Devin talk about that card when we get to it. Then I have Breakout. Then I have Fugitive Codebreaker, which is my like cope, my prowess cope card. Honestly. Okay. And then fifth, I have the Blue Red or Red Green Surveil Land. Because those things, rhinos. Let me tell you, those do rhinos. Yeah, so let, let's talk about a little bit about these. I'm sure you all talked about them last week, but like I yes. kept, I kept looking at them and saw a little bit of discussion on them online, and I'm. It just takes me back to like a temple. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just like. It, it's not a temple. I know, well, it's, it's fetchable. fetchable. I understand that it's typed, but like it still comes into play tapped. But like that's not too bad, especially early in in rhinos. I guess like I don't know. Like I I have I see pros and cons here. The thing I keep hearing about in rhinos, for what it's worth, and Devin said something very similar on the show last week. I watched Everett talking about this, and he said something very similar. Is that number one? Rhino players are greedy <laughs> and keep a yeah. lot of two land hands. Okay. You gotta. And, and this All is time. and this is something that would let you compl- get get another look at getting that third land for little to no cost. That's that's what it is. And 
many people are saying, or several people are saying, <laughs> that this would even replace triome, the triome in I think it will. That, that deck. Which I think is interesting and, and totally possible, but yeah. Like, imagine this situation, exactly what Dave was saying. You keep a two-lander, it's the, you know, two fetch lands, two fetch lands, fire ice, cascade spell, force negation, subtlety, dead gone. You're never mulliganing that yeah. hand, obviously, but there are there are situations where you just don't hit that third land drop, and in the instance where you're fetching a tap land on one, with that hand specifically, which is a hand that comes up a lot, you'd much rather have the selection early than the option of cycling it later on like how often do you cycle the triome it almost never yeah, happens but right you get fixing which is ideal I, you have enough fetches and shocks that i don't think the third color on the triome matters all that much sure i mean it matters enough that you play it can, yeah sure can i ask but you there's no better option can right? i ask you real quick so how, how many lands does rhino run 24 no it, no, it runs like it runs 22. because it has uh the you know the revealed lorian revealed so it's 22 and four lorians let me ask you something all right i was just going to try to do some hypergeometric math here really <laughs> quickly i'm, I'm gonna count, <laughs> quick math i'm gonna count lorian's yeah it's hyper sample size i ah, forget it wait hang on one second if you have 26 successes in your sample let's say it's a 60 card deck with 26 lands in it quote unquote and you do a surveil you get look at the top card of your deck you are 43 percent to have the top card be a land okay yeah that's without drawing a, a hand and all that kind of sure. stuff if you so it's a free draw if you have two looks at it, you are sixty-eight percent to have it the top card be a land. So it improves you. It improves your um, ability to draw land somewhat around twenty-five percent or so on that on those greedy keeps. I just think the way that I look at it is when I keep a, a two land hand like that, the benefit of putting a spell in the graveyard and getting me one closer to that third land drop is the almost the equivalent of drawing a card. That's how important hitting that third land drop is, is whenever you get to bin a spell in that spot, it's so massive to the point where I'm actually considering playing two of these, like not of the same one. I think I played like a, a blue red and a, a blue green because you want blue ones for forest, but I'm considering playing two of these tap lands because I think they're that good. Hmm. Okay. I'm 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 willing to have my my doubts be shattered. That's fine. Can I can I tell you that I think many people in modern are going to play one of these in their deck? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's good in heavy fetch situations, right? Like, I think like it's it's just so advantageous where it's like you know temples and scrying were were pretty cool, but this is like this is definitely much 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 superior to like a, a temple situation because of the way yeah. you can play oh, with yeah. it. So yeah, last week I was a bit more skeptical about it, but I feel like at this point, a lot of people are just going to run these for the one of just to try to fix marginal keeps. Okay. I like it. Yeah. All right, Devin, what's your, what's your bottom line list? Um, my top five, we had the aforementioned lane line of the guild pack, the number one Onsrag, the, I'm calling it the mole God at number two insidious roots, insidious roots at three doorkeeper thrill at four. That's the one, two flash fire that we talked about last week. Yep. And then no more lies at five. Yeah. Doorkeeper thrill. Oh yeah. The, that the is strict the proctor orb. type thing. Yeah. Yeah. The torp orb thing. Yeah. That card's good. It's very good. Devin, any last thoughts about Onsrag since this made it to your number two slot? Did your hype go up, or was this where you were last week, you think? It's about where I was last week. I mean, a lot of the same stuff that we said last week applies with um, Voldaren Thrillseeker, Recklestorm Seeker. Just, I, I don't know, There's, this card just seems so, so powerful for what you're paying, and I expect to be playing a lot of this in both Standard and Pioneer. Uh, 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 it still costs... Shane no, doesn't no, buy I, it. I like it, right? I like it. 
but like I can, I can, I'm looking at this and seeing the floor, right? And maybe the floor is not that bad, but I can see it being like a four mana creature in red green that doesn't have haste, doesn't have trample. And if they're keeping your board clean, then like this is pretty dang bad. Um, so I'm just like, okay, when, when it's working, it's working great. When it's not working, you're, you're in bad shape, but you're probably going to lose that game anyway. I don't know. It's like, I, I'm just trying to figure out like, when is this card going to be bad for me versus like, how good is it going to be when it's good? Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't have any sort of evasive ability itself, but that's kind of where the thrill seeker and storm seeker comes in. You like this card on an empty battlefield is not super great. It's like, you know, again, you're paying four mana doesn't have haste. I get that, but it synergizes with so many different things. Like, you know, the thrill seekers, the storm seekers. And I think that because it has enough synergies and even like, you know, you could even go super deep and play like Cauldron with the Thrill Seeker and then Thrill Seeker onto that and yada yada. There's there's some cool stuff you can do there. But um, I don't know, like even in the worst case scenario where they have like, I think the, the floor for me is opponent has two two twos. You play this, you attack, they chump block with their two two, then, you know, or I guess they just double block in that case. So it's trading for two two twos, which, you know, four mana kill two two twos. Maybe that's not super great, but I don't know. I like it. I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm too high on it, but and you know we'll find out after I play some games with it. But I like it a lot. I will say really quick. One thing I think that was not discount, or maybe we didn't think about enough, is like if it blocks multiple times, its damage doesn't go away on the right. four. So that's yeah. just something to keep in mind. Is that yeah, you do get to attack over and over again, but eventually, if your opponent does have a lot of blockers out, they probably will be able to kill it. But maybe it's been an abyss for you then, and for four mana, that's probably okay. My my question real quick here is in gruel vehicles and maybe there's a lot of things that have to be re-engineered for this list to work the way you're talking about with thrill seeker in it and quake mole but do you have a gut on like what card's not going to make the cut anymore for you when you start thinking about this Mm, haven't super thought about it too too much i mean it honestly might just be a one or a two of because the gruel vehicles decks are kind of designed around um the enchantment that tutors huntsman's redemption so they're more tutor focused with like they're playing less they're playing less thrill seekers less love struck beasts and i think this might just be like a two of to kind of facilitate that curve of you know if you like you know play an elf on play an elf into the turn two huntsman's redemption then turn three you can go float the mana with elf sack the elf get the mole god play it and then like imagine that curve for example where you go and this is again you know magical christmas land but elf into um the enchantment turn three sack the elf play the mole god and then turn four you get to give the mole god and your three three beast plus two plus two and trample right which means you have a 10 power trampler and a five power trampler which if they block your 10 power trampler you get an extra combat step right. with your 15 power yeah like I, those curves just seem so ridiculous yeah i i feel like there's enough there that it's just and it's not like it costs six even or five like i feel like this card would usually cost like six, you know, and it costs four. So I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of downside to playing it. Yeah, I don't know what will get cut exactly, but probably like maybe two copies in the in the boat decks with um with Huntsman's Redemption. Yeah. And I'm gonna play this in standard too, because all those cards are legal in standard. You have the the God, Huntsman's, Thrill Seeker, Storm Seeker. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to build a, a mole god deck in standard too. Nice. Yeah. All I right. mean I'm all for I'm all well, for it being good for sure. We'll find out soon. Soon enough. Right, Shane? Soon enough. <laughs> we will. I mean, I guess the the big thing for me is I, don't, I unfortunately don't see this changing modern significantly, right? Like, I think, like, I don't think there's anything in here that's, like, blowing the doors wide open. I think, like, potentially it just makes Yogmoth better, which is a little bit scary. So, you know, I don't think we're having that kind of impact. 
on uh, modern. I think pioneer. I think will will have some upheaval here, or maybe just sort of move some things up and down, and maybe make some maybe make some slightly stagnant decks like gruel, like maybe a little bit better. I think that'd be cool. Like with breakout, could have like a new gruel deck. Uh, Quake mole could be a cool part of like existing archetype. Yeah. Real quick before we go, does anybody know what the top highest presale priced card is? Is it the Quake Mole? I'm looking at Card Kingdom. That's what I'm using for what it's worth. But I'm, my I'm, guess would do I even have a guess? <laughs> I don't even know if I have a guess. No, I don't. I don't even know. Delney Streetwise Lookout for twenty one ninety nine is the most expensive card in the set. Ansrag is number two for sixteen ninety nine, and Leyline of the Guild Pack is third for twelve ninety nine. That's reasonable. So, like for for, I mean, I think that we will see those prices shift significantly. Like, I think that the Leyline, like at ten bucks or whatever, like that, I think that could be a much more expensive card if it's yeah. as impactful as Devin thinks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's funny about this set is I think a lot of the power lies in uncommons. Like if you look at our our top list, you, you know, Dave's got normalized breakout. I have normalized insidious roots, and there's there's plenty of rares and and uncommons that are super good. So I like that they're putting the power in some of the lower rarities. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that that wraps up this week's show. It sure does. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or reach out, you can tweet us at the dive down all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you would like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down, or check out our store at the dive slash store. Head over to heavy play, heavy play, get some incredible deck and dice boxes and play mats featuring the equip mag system code, the dive down 2024 for 10% off your first order. Mana traders, shout out to them for sponsoring us. Sign up using the promo code, the dive down underscore three Y O check the show notes always for our code for them. 10% off your first two months of renting magic online cards and as always special thanks to the bands nowhere and space blood for letting us use their music and until next week get out there and lay lines with your guilds 